0: Welcome back to another episode of the Reformed Singaporean Podcast. And uh, once again, thank you for tuning in. Uh, If this is your first time, a very warm welcome. And uh, in today's episode, we'll actually be continuing off a series that I started recently called, uh, What Does It Mean to Be a Quote Unquote Reformed Christian? Now, what does it mean to be reformed? And in today's episode, I have a very special guest on uh, the podcast. His name is Mark. Um, Maybe uh, say hi. (laughs)
1: Hi hi hello, good to be here.
0: Yeah yeah hi hi. Maybe just uh tell us one one thing about yourself, Mark. I mean since you're a new guest on the show.
1: <laughs> uh yeah I. Well there's uh I'm I'm not the most interesting person So uh, I I think the the most interesting thing actually is that I uh, I have another podcast uh, with yeah with a friend of mine uh, that we actually go through John Kelvin's institutes. Of the Christian religion, and uh, we've had to take a break for a bit uh, so far because of exams and all that, but now that it's done, I think we're looking to, to pick it back up again. Yeah,
0: yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, uh, since he has uh plugged in his own podcast, uh, I'll just tell you guys what it is. It's called Full Metal Calvinist. Is it Calvinist or Calvinists?
1: Uh, plural, plural, plural I guess okay, full it's metal, metal of us. Yeah.
0: Calvinists with the S. Yeah, okay, so. If you are interested in Institutes of the Christian Religion by John Kelvin, uh, you can go tune into his podcast. Uh, I've listened to the episodes myself. It's great stuff. I'm sure you, you'll be able to learn a lot from them. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, so what does it mean to be a Reformed Christian? Well, today we'll be specifically addressing the issue of what we call confessional Christianity. Okay, now um, that term might be a bit foreign to some of us, uh, what what do you mean by confessional you know, um, yeah it might seem like quite a strange word maybe uh, mark maybe can start us off by by telling us what what do you mean by a Christianity that is confessional uh and yeah I mean we'll, we'll just see from there what does that mean
1: right uh, so the term confessional really just comes from the word confession uh, right. which seems to make a bit of sense right yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. why you call yourself confessional because um. We subscribe to a confession of faith. Mm. And uh, so these confessions of faith are actually, well, either short or long written statements about what the church or any kind of local congregation believes uh, about the faith. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about particularly confessional Christianity, we are actually referring to a very specific. Um, uh, we're talking about confessions they have a very specific characteristic so they they firstly by and large you notice that they are written not by one person mm. um, or even if it is written by one person it would be adopted uh, and ratified by multiple churches uh, of, of the area etc right, right um and it, it is uh it sets forth particular distinctives right about uh, what that particular church is uh, either that local congregation or the universal church uh, actually does believe in La. Mm, so mm. um these kind of confessions actually you notice that if you just take the word confession in a very broad sense, uh it, it really just broadly just is a statement of okay, well, this is what we believe about the faith, uh and so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh you notice they can be either written or or unwritten. Mm. Right. So so the 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 thing is, at, at this moment, it, it may seem a bit odd when you say that I have an unwritten confession of faith, uh, because the more famous ones in history have by and large all been written. But the point then we're trying to make is that actually everyone has a confession of faith. Yeah, that's right. Be- yeah. Because if, if you were to ask somebody, well, what do you believe about this? Or what do you believe about that? Um, the fact that they are able to give you an answer uh, means that they have a confession. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, But the question then is whether their confession is actually publicly available for criticism, correction, or sometimes even maybe uh, affirmation. Mm, mm. Yeah.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely uh, a lot of great things uh, mentioned already. Yeah. So in essence, a confession of of faith is just a statement of what you believe in about Christianity. I mean, simply put. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. And yeah, I guess with that, with that, uh, so Mark and I, both of us, uh, I guess we do hold to a particular confession of faith. Um, and if we look back in Christianity's history, um, there have been quite a number of historical confessions, like historical documents or statements of faith, uh, that have been written down by you know uh, many brilliant Christian minds in history. Uh, and for both of us, we subscribe to a particular confession. Uh, also known as the Westminster Confession of Faith, if you have heard of that before, um, it's um, and,
1: and you're quite a recent uh, <laughs> convert to, to that, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes. Uh, since uh Mark has ad- uh added that in, yes. Uh, so uh, actually, you you as well. I think I think you you as well. But of course, I'm more recent. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, both yeah. of us, we uh, our journeys are quite interesting. Our theological journeys. Both of us have very recently come to embrace the truth and the beauty of. Particularly the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is um, from yeah. the Presbyterian tradition. Uh, yeah. but well, well uh, previously we also helped to another uh, historically reformed Confession of Faith known as uh, the 1689 London Baptist Confession, uh, which is fine, yeah. which is fine and dandy in and of itself. Uh, but yeah, since for the sake of our, uh, I guess, what we are more in line with, we will talk more about the Westminster, I guess. Uh, so it's great, yeah. So both of us, we are Presbyterians. Uh, if that is a question on your mind, uh, Presbyterians are nice people. Uh, they're they're great people. Uh, though we we try we'll try not to bite. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's just that we don't clap during worship, lah. <laughs>
0: yeah. So I guess uh, a quick little sidetrack for fun. Uh, we are called uh we are, we are called the frozen chosen. Uh, because of course you know Presbyterians we love to talk about doctrines. Um, one example the doctrine of predestination and how Christians are elected, we are chosen, yeah. uh, and how somehow during worship services, when we sing praises to God, we stand completely still. So <laughs> uh, we are known as, uh, I, I guess more from our Pentecostal friends uh, that we are called the frozen chosen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so yeah. great stuff, man. Yeah, so I, I think Mark, you talked about how uh, everybody has a confession of faith, whether they realize it or right. not. I think that's quite an interesting statement to make. Uh, Yeah, yeah, maybe with that, with that, let me just segue into our next question. Now, why do you think these historic confessions, like why, why do these old documents about doctrine and theology, why are they even important in even like let's say Singapore's day and age, you know, the modern Singapore age? Yeah.
1: Well, I I think this question is uh, particularly uh, pertinent today, especially when we enter or rather if you to actually look at the general history of Christianity, um, the church uh, ha- has always been confessional, right? It's always been credo, uh, which refers to the more, uh, the shorter creeds that were written in the early church, the early centuries, mm-hmm. um, and has always been confessional. Yeah, And it's only really when you look at the, probably the early 20th century with the rise of, uh, Christian minimalism, right? Which mm. with what I like to call uh, with evangelicalism when the the by and large, the Protestants uh, were looking at one another and they were saying that, okay, so we've got Presbyterians with their distinctives and we've got uh, Anglicans with their distinctives, Methodists, um, the Baptists with the, all of the, those distinctives. Yeah. And the question that these evangelicalisms, uh, evangelicalisms leaders were trying to ask was... Um, what, what can we do to find the most common ground that we have, right? And mm. a lot of it just tended to, to boil down to certain things like justification by faith alone, uh, the authority of scripture alone. On uh, all of these, I actually find points to unite on. In fact, yeah, I think yeah. that they are points that most Protestants uh, should be uniting on. Uh, but unfortunately when along with this idea of uh, minimalism and common ground. Um, The whole idea of confessional Christianity um, just died. uh, The the death of, I think, a a thousand Mm neglects. And I think it's quite interesting that you bring this up now because are they still important and relevant? Well, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's just that these days we don't see it because by definition, confessional Christianity is another term for what I like to call Christian maximalism. Right, because if you look at the confessions, especially the the post-Reformation ones, they actually do set out uh, a more holistic uh, view of what we call, uh, of what we view about the doctrine of God, doctrine of man, uh, the doctrine of the church. Uh, you notice that it, it militates against Christian minimalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, why are they important and relevant? I think first and foremost, you must understand that the church has a vocabulary. Mm. So, you and I have both been in the SAF, right? We've yeah. both been conscripted, we've served. <laughs> and you know, for a matter of fact, that uh, one thing that the SAF loves loves so much uh, their abbreviations. Yes. Oh, yeah. So uh, 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 a- a- e-
0: SAF means Singapore Armed Forces. Yeah. To anyone who might right, not be familiar, right. yeah, the Singapore's yeah, uh, army, a- like, their national a- service. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm. And so, so that itself is a is an abbreviation, right? Yeah. So you've yeah. got your 11B refers to your military IC. You've got your form this and form that and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, and you notice that it is the soldiers, the sailors and the airmen in the armed forces that actually use these abbreviations, right? And it's vocabulary. Mm. It's grammatical to us. It controls the way we speak. Uh, and when I say something precisely, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. So, actually, in the same way to analogize, I think the church has had a vocabulary that they developed, that that she has developed over many, many centuries, Mm. right? And um, these confessions, these creeds are important and relevant because they tell us what this vocabulary is so that when Christians, uh, when we talk about God, man, we talk about the church, uh, about society and all that, Mm. we actually know what we are actually referring to. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to point us to actually to 2 Timothy 1.13. And and Paul's um, mandate to Timothy is not just to focus on the content of the sound Mm. words, but also to focus on the form of sound words, which means actually, yes, we must be focused on the content and the substance of sound words, but there is actually also a sense that there is a way to say these content and these sound words wrongly. And I think yeah. that's what the confessions are, are so important and relevant for, to prevent us from saying these things wrongly.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great, that's great. Yeah. I think something else that confessions, or, or rather since em- embracing you know, the beauty of Christian confessions, uh, I think I, I realised personally the importance of the historicity of the faith as well. I think it's so easy to forget in our day and age that you know, Christianity actually... It, at least the Christian Church has been around for at least two thousand years, yeah. And you know, just thinking about what were people thinking of, what were people trying to work through, what struggles that the church face? there's so many things we can learn from. And I think it's quite sad that uh, many many Christians today uh, who do go to church and and all of that, they they just do not know. They just do not know. Um, I think some of them, if you ask them about any historic thing about Christianity, they just say that. Uh, I guess two thousand years ago, uh, Jesus died on the cross. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah. other than that, they, uh, yeah, maybe some of them might even live in such a way where Christianity is a twenty-first century or twentieth-century invention. Uh, because to them, yeah. church is all about you know, uh, flashing lights and jumping up and down. Yeah. And, you know, it, it just yeah, makes yeah. you question. Uh, or rather, yeah. Uh, I wonder if such people ever think you know before all these you know, sick electric guitar riffs were invented. You know, what were Christians mm. doing? <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's uh, if, if you were to just track the the history of confessions, and and I don't think it's an exaggeration, therefore, to say that the church, for the most part of a history, has always been confessional. Mm. Um, mm. I think even if you will look at scripture, um, in the New Testament, especially in Paul's writing, it's it's replete with doctrinal statements that actually do make up uh, what we call confessions or, mm. or basic credo statements, right? Uh, credo coming from the, the Latin word credo, which means I believe, right? And, and so they are called mm. creeds because they actually do summarize what is it that people actually do believe in. And yeah. if I actually could just point us to Philippians 2, there's a f- beautiful paragraph, mm. uh, Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. Uh Can I read it?
0: Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. So Philippians 2 verse 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, Mm. but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Mm. So in this beautiful paragraph, which again is in the Bible, yep. uh, there, there are a few truths that are being mentioned, right? First, that Christ, number one, is in the form of God. Mm. Uh, number two, that he laid the dignity and the glory of God aside that he might then take on the form of a servant. Mm. And then he dies in obedience and is therefore exalted when he is raised. And the last line to confess that he is a Lord. Right? I mean, at the very least, you. you I think people must understand or any honest student of history must understand that... Um, for, for the most part, the early church, the most basic confession of the early church was that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah. And that in itself is a credo statement. Hmm. Of course, then the church then has to go on to further explicate what does it mean that Christ was in the form of God, right? What does it mean that he would then laid aside his, uh, the glory and the dignity? Did it mean that he laid aside his deity? Uh, what does it mean that he took on the form of man? And so hmm. on and so forth. And that is why in the early church, when they were defending against the different heresies that were coming up, um, creeds such as the Nicene Creed, mm. the Chalcedonian Creed, the Athanasian Creed uh, started to come up as, as succinct um, and short summary statements and said that, okay, this is what the church must believe um, about God as revealed to us in scripture. Yep. And, and, and so we must then make sure that we confess Right, the the language that is in this creed, so that we don't end up um, sounding like the heretics. <laughs> because yeah. while we may be of good intention, right, the substance of sound words sometimes we may use words that the heretics are using, and you know, again, the form of sound words matters.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, wow. I think from, from the way you explained it, it, really you know you put it forth that you know confessions are really meant to be sub somewhat of a guardrail uh for Christians to make sure we don't you know go over the yeah, rails absolutely. and into yeah. into heresy and just false yeah. doctrine and all of those things. Yeah, yeah. I think uh yeah great stuff. Although I guess as you were explaining also I'm just thinking how you know how can we try and also bring bring forth the you know really the beauty of these things of like really learning and studying these things as a Christian. Uh for any Christian, you know. Uh, because right. uh, I think already one objection I foresee, right, uh, if I were to talk to mm. someone about knowing your history, knowing what Christians last time have thought hard about these things, knowing what they believed, they, they might mm. say that, oh, you know, you're, you're starting to sound like a Roman Catholic, maybe, you know, but <laughs> well, you're starting right. to sound like a very, you know, <laughs> tradition, tradition, tradition kind of guy. Right, You know, right. Uh, Isn't Christianity supposed to just me and my Bible, yo? You know, just me and Jesus, just uh, my personal right. walk with God kind of thing. Uh, yeah, maybe. What a, <laughs> do you have any thoughts about that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that I think that, that sentiment is is well diagnosed in in the sense that I do see personally. I have come across Christianity that is exactly like this, and this is exactly uh, uh, the idea of me myself and my Bible. Yeah. Or you know, it's not a it's not a religion; it's a relationship. <laughs> yeah. uh, these 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 are actually common tenets of Christian minimalism. Yep. Right where actually, you by and large you notice that these guys are the ones that are not serving in a in a local congregation. Mm, They're not plugged oof. into a local yeah. church, yeah. Uh, and even if they are, even if they are, um, even if they have good intentions and all that kind of stuff, you notice that um, they don't know anything beyond what is it that the church actually teaches them. Mm. And the sad thing is that these kind of people are only going to feel comfortable in a church that number one is not confessional. Uh, though they may have their own beliefs and their own unwritten confessions. They're not confessional in the sense that um, they don't have a particular kind of confession that is publicly endorsed uh, by by a majority of churches um, as as to be true. And and, and so you notice that it's going to be problematic for for these kind of people. But I mean, in response to something like this, I think first and foremost, we need to understand that um, it is true that one of the core principles of the Protestant Reformation uh, was sola scriptura. Mm. And I think that's something that you have spoken about in your podcast before. And that's something that I believe the two of us are absolutely fundamentally united upon and we are uncompromising on, on something like this. But sola scriptura, which means scripture alone, doesn't mean that scripture is our only authority. Mm. Mm. Right, it, it doesn't mean that we then do away with all kinds of authority because we still do submit to the authority of the government, of the authority of our employers, our parents, and so on and so forth. Yep. And even if you were to say that sola scriptura means it is the only ecclesi- ecclesiastical authority, uh, the only authority that uh, with regards to matters of religion and church, um, then my response to that would be that you're just misunderstanding Completely the, the, yeah. the doctrine of Sola Scriptura. Yeah, because yeah. when Martin Luther, John Calvin, uh, Theodore Beza, Martin Boots, and all these kind of different reformers were, were talking and championing Sola Scriptura, um, they meant to say that Scripture is not the only authority, but that it is its highest authority. That's right. right? It is the church's highest authority and the only one that can bind the conscience. And all other kinds of authority that come after it have only the authority to bind the conscience insofar as it is consistent with scripture. Mm. And so uh, the the historic Protestantism, let's put it this way, whether you call yourself Lutheran or or Reformed or even Anglican, I think, on the more Protestant side, uh, as long as you're Protestant and historically rooted in the the historic Protestant tradition, uh, tradition is not an enemy. Mm. Right, um, I think it is a false dichotomy and a a gross misunderstanding of of the Reformation to say that what the reformers were doing was to pit scripture against tradition. No, all that the Reformation was trying to do was to subordinate tradition to scripture, um, Mm. as compared to what the Roman Catholics had been doing, which was to elevate tradition to the level of scripture, correct? Right, so, um, and and if you were to open up the first lines of most of these reformed confessions, you will notice that the first line is always to downplay its authority in favor of the authority of scripture. Mm. Right? So it's it's um it's not clearly the the Christianity that the reformers were envisioning was not a was not a minimalistic one. Yeah. Uh, it was certainly not a me, myself and my Bible. Uh, yeah. Relationship, not religion, kind of thing, Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. I think um, thinking about what you said, also, uh, I think Second Thessalonians chapter two verse fifteen comes to mind. Uh, I'll just read it out for us. So Paul says, "So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter." So, I mean, I uh, I think parts like that in scripture, verses like that in scripture, do tell us that, yes, there is, of course, there's always, there's bad tradition, of course, like we, we believe things like the Roman Catholic Church, the Elevate tradition, or a wrong, even a wrong kind of tradition, you know, t- yeah. uh, to the same level as scripture, which is, of course, not what we believe, uh, but even from scripture itself, we have the Apostle Paul saying that, yeah, there are traditions that he wants the church to adopt and continue, yeah. Uh, either by spoken word or by their letters yeah and of course we believe as as good reform people <laughs> uh, that these uh traditions must come from scripture and uh scripture right. is the ultimate authority on all these matters yeah 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 I, I guess yeah th- thanks for answering that objection I think another question I, I I was thinking of that people might ask is you know what why are you so you know, especially you know, you reform people. You're you are so dogmatic about you know your right. your, your positions and your stances and uh, all these you no know, secondary issues, right? Uh, why do you want to even divide the body, right? Right? Uh, right. How can you even like want to call yourself reform? I'm from this reform camp, and then you know, right. uh, I'm from this Lutheran camp. I'm from this Methodist camp. You know, why don't we just yep. get along and? Yeah, yeah, I mean, so to yeah. some degree, that that might sound plausible. That might sound like yeah, that's a good thing to pursue. This kind of unit, this kind of unity in the church. Uh, but yeah, maybe what are your thoughts on that kind of sentiment?
1: Yeah. Uh, this this kind of sentiment, I think, again, stems from uh, a fundamental misunderstanding of what we as reformed at least uh, are, are trying to get at mm. and I think it's also again a fundamental misunderstanding of uh doctrine yeah. of of Christian what, what what people like to call um' I've, I've seen this term before it's called theological triage yeah right so so triage is, is when you like go to a, a hospital. And we say, like, okay, I need to see a doctor. And then the nurses perform triage on you, mm-hmm. la, right, to determine how severe your your uh, condition is so that they know, okay, is this urgent, not so urgent, or can this guy wait until the doctor is ready, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's such such an objection about, oh, you know, why do you want to divide and all this kind of stuff, it, it based on a misunderstanding of all of these things. But I think my first response to to something like this would be, first and foremost, truth is more important than unity. That's right. Right. Uh, I think the consistent, no No one can can read uh, scripture or at least uh, old and new and, and come away thinking that uh, God favors unity over truth. Mm. No, no, God favors unity that is absolutely true, but he does not seek unity at the expense of truth. Mm. Right. God is truth, right? When Christ says, I am the way, the truth, um, he's saying nothing less than I am truth embodied truth personified, yep. and I love truth. And if you were to read, for example, the the letter of Paul to Galatians, to the Galatians, and he was saying that if anyone preaches a different gospel from you, let him be anathema. Mm. Right, Anathema, I, I don't think people actually understand what this term anathema means, but it just really is that Greek term that refers to says that you are under the curse of God, which means that you are actually condemned. Yeah. And you will spend an eternity in hellfire. Yeah. Yeah. Paul is saying something like this. And I, I honestly, I mean, if you look at liberals, liberalism today, like liberal churches today, right? Mm-hmm. Quite, quite interestingly, no, none of these guys, I think will actually say that Paul is an example to follow. You always be like, okay, all we need to do is to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? This is all that Jesus said. Just Jesus. And let's look words, at what. Right? Yeah. yeah, it's just Jesus, right? Yeah. Um, let's let's ignore Paul because you can't read Paul and come away thinking that, oh, we must unite, uh, over yeah. for <laughs> despite of, of truth. So first and foremost, truth is more important than unity, which means to say mm-hmm. that if someone is preaching falsehood, I must either correct that person, and if he cannot be corrected, I cannot unite with him. Right. I mean, yeah. that's that's precisely the principle of the Reformation, which said that because Rome at that point of time and continues today to preach a false gospel, yeah. that they have stripped away the pure gospel of justification by mm. God's by, by God's imputation of righteousness on us alone, uh, we must divide from them. Sorrowfully, yes, regretfully, yes, but it's not mm. that we should, or not that it is good to, but that we must. Divide from them, yeah. So that's the first point, right? I think my first response is that truth is is more important than unity. The most yeah. ideal is that if we have both, but in a broken, sinful world like ours, if one has to go, it must be unity. It cannot be uh, unity for the sake of truth. Uh, yeah. And my second response, I think, is is the matter of theological triage. Uh, if you look within the Protestant camp, yes, we have um, many many distinctives, um, and they are classic. Uh, distinctive that, that we always talk about, especially now as uh, newly minted Westminsterians uh, would be <laughs> yep. of infant baptism, right? Do we baptize the children of believers or not before their profession of faith? Mm. Uh, and our many Baptist brothers uh, would would say, no, you don't, right? Baptism comes after professional faith. As, mm. But then as we, as Westminsterians would say, no, we, we do, because um, it is based on an understanding of the covenant and the covenant promises yeah, and, correct. and so on and so forth. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, you notice that when it comes to, if if you were to perform tr- theological triage properly, you'll notice that we would, anybody uh, within a Protestant camp would consider the issue of baptism, uh, even the issue of predestination, mm. sovereignty, irresistible grace, and, and your tulip, mm. like, like that, that uh, series that you did. Yeah, All yeah. No one, no, no Protestant in the right frame of mind, a mature Protestant at least, will look at all of these things and say that, well, these are primary doctrines that we must divide over. Mm. Mm. Right? Uh, it, it may be enough to say that I cannot then attend the same local church as you. Uh, and and that's, that's perfectly understandable. Yeah. Um, but, but it is still not grounds to say that I will therefore break universal fellowship with you. Correct. Right? Because... We must understand that actually, if you're to study the entire of systematic theology, there's only really, at least from what I gather, that the church has really talked about three things that we must divide people over if they are not holding to the true belief, which is things on which is the doctrine of God, are mm. uh, the doctrine of Christ, and that of the gospel. Yeah. Right, so if you look at it we, we don't unite with Muslims and we don't say that they are Christians and unity why because fundamentally it's a different God yeah right um, we, we don't unite with the Jehovah the Jehovah's Witnesses or, or any kind of other Unitarians because they don't believe that Christ is God and so it's not the it's not the same Christ hmm. and we don't unite with the Roman Catholic Church not because that they disbelieve in the Trinity or that they disbelieve in the deity of Christ but we say that it's a different gospel but if you notice that everything else outside of these things are uh, actually becomes what I like to call secondary doctrines that actually may have distinctives and may have differences but are not enough to cause divisions mm. and so i am more than happy to confess that an armenian is a brother yeah right i'm more than happy to confess that a methodist a a baptist is is a dear brother of mine in fact i think yep. that we can find Solid unity and and common ground with these brothers than we do with, with for example the Roman Catholic Church, mm. because we are fundamentally united that yes God is three in one Christ is God Man, and at the heart of it the gospel is about justification by faith alone. Yeah, and if we if we waffle on these three points, then really what are we doing? Mm. Mm. And we just lose mm. the whole identity and the whole characteristic of being Protestant to begin with. Yeah, that's right, that's right.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I'm sure, yeah, 100% agree with you. Uh, and, and I'm sure that, I mean, so much can be said about, you know, how, you know, what does Protestant even mean nowadays? What does evangelical even mean? Because I think- Yeah, it's a yeah. Lot, yeah.
1: Uh, and, and it's quite a <laughs> sad bastardization of the word, I think. Yeah. You know I mean? Because in the time of the Reformations, Protestant equal evangelical. Yeah. And we were proud to call ourselves evangelicals because- we were all about the evangel, the gospel. Yeah, uh, we were gospel people, right? We were uh, people that that loved the gospel to the point that we were willing to die for it, willing yeah. to break and 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 seek division over this because we believe that they didn't have the gospel. Mm. Um, but now, because of this Christian minimalism that is so associated with the term evangelical, uh, it's difficult, uh, yeah. You don't want to to call yourself an evangelical Protestant now, because what does it even mean? Correct, correct. Because if you evangelicals on, on, on such a wide spectrum that you don't really understand why is it that they believe in anymore. Mm. Yeah. And the sad thing is it used to be that at least in the earlier 20th century, when the whole like, you know, let's let's find common ground and, and let's do minimalism. It used to be that at the very least that there was something minimum to talk about, like sola scriptura, mm. uh, Sola solar fide. Right, soulless Christus. But then again, now you notice that with the rise of liberalism and all these kind of nonsense, yep. garbage theology that has crept in, <laughs> there are evangelicals that are saying that scripture is no longer inerrant. It's mm. not. It's not infallible. What the heck are you even Protestant about? Correct. Right. So I I, I blame the the downward trend of of in of evangelicalism mm. um, on on. A neglect of the confessions. Yeah. And I'm not too sure personally, like which one came first. Like, was it the neglect of the confessions that led to Christian minimalism or was it minimalism that led to the neglect? But I think that these Oof, two factors yeah. were symbiotic in a sense. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah absolutely horrendous state that we are in today. Yeah, uh, I, I, that, I I agree. think that you have spent some episodes lamenting on this before, right? Uh,
0: I think so. <laughs> I yes. honestly can't remember. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I think a, a lot of my episodes, uh, I do spend, especially when I talk about like doctrinal stuff. I'll talk about how, well, why is this even important to know, and also the uh the fact that I think a lot of Christians today, in general, uh, in Singapore specifically, uh, they don't really care about the specifics of their faith. So uh, I think, yeah. um, to me, uh, the, the the issue really isn't. The main issue isn't about, you know, oh, you know, me studying all these things could potentially lead to me dividing over some brothers. I mean, that might happen yeah. and that can be a problem, but I don't think that's the yeah. real problem. I think the real problem is, yeah. uh, you know, people having a very shallow faith. Like what you talked about, the yeah. Christian minimalism, which is so rampant, yeah. right? I think as a result, I, I know of some friends who used to be very passionate for God, right? Or the, 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 the popular lingo is on fire for God, right? A lot of people like to say that. Yeah. Um, but you know they go to NS national service. Uh, they come out yeah. a pagan. Like I can't I can't distinguish yeah. them from the next non-Christian guy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, not just one friend. A couple of friends I know who who ha- who have left the faith. Who uh, mm-hmm. who might have used to be quite passionate about God at one point. And I I think um, I do I do not need to know them super well. But I, I would say that the safe diagnosis is this. Uh, that they were in churches that did not really teach them sound, solid, deep, rigorous, historic doctrines of the Christian faith. And as a result, yeah. you know, you, you go into the wall, you come across, you clash with all these differing worldviews and beliefs. Um, that it's very easy to get swayed. It's very easy to lose your footing. And it's very easy yep. to to question God and doubt God. And then the, it just is a down, downward slope from there. Uh, yeah. So... Yeah, if anything, if anything, this is what I, I would say la, as to why are confessions important? Why is it important to know what Christians have, have said before us? Because, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's so much we can learn from and they answer so many questions that people still ask today. You know, uh, yep. for example, very common objections to Christianity. You know, why does God allow evil? Um, yep. You know, why? Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, you know, h- uh, how can science and God go together things like that yeah. actually christians yeah. in the past have really thought hard about these things already and it, ha- already yeah. have answered them very yeah. biblically and very well yeah, yeah. Uh, but people just yeah. don't know people just don't know and uh, i guess when yeah. attacked they're just stumped
1: yeah yeah it's quite interesting that you bring this up because uh i think it is quite clear uh that uh, uh a big factor as to a lot of these kind of deconversion stories are uh, mm. because of, of people who, who just come to, to difficult questions like the question of evil, suffering, um, sovereignty, free will, yeah. and, or, or maybe even when, when they look at questions like is, is the Bible compatible with science and so on and so forth. Uh, and, and a lot of these questions are left unanswered by them. Uh, not because that there are no answers. And that's the sad thing. is It's not because there's no answers. I think this ties into your whole uh, question of the historicity of the faith, uh, yeah. not just simply when we look at the confessions, but Christianity is not novel. Right? I think that's something that we must drive across. In fact, Christianity has multiple centuries uh, ahead of Islam, yeah. which means right. to say that actually, if if you want answers that Christians have always tended to provide, it's not that there are no answers. It's just that the answers are out there. They just need to go and search for it. That's right. Are you Are you trying to tell me that for 2,000 years of Christian history, there has not been a single person who is actually able to provide an answer as to the problem of evil?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, okay, <laughs> yeah. granted, granted, there is a certain level of mystery to it, right? So <laughs> uh, I, I do suppose that no one has ever did provide uh, an absolute 100% foolproof defense mm, uh, mm. of the problem of evil. But are you trying to tell me that there is no one in 2000 years of Christian history that has been able to provide an answer that is at least more satisfactory than the one that you have in your head? Yeah. yeah. And I think it is a foolish, foolish thing for all of us today to neglect the collective wisdom of the church. Mm. Again, it is a very common Protestant um trope that, so, so I think how how a lot of Protestants understand church history is like this, lah. So okay, so it was all good when the apostles were around. Yeah. Then they died, right? Because yeah. all of them died horrendous deaths. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was good for the first like couple of decades, maybe when people like Polycarp and Irenaeus and all the disciples of the apostles themselves were like going around. Then yeah. they died also. And then things just started to go downhill from there. Yeah. You know, and things just went like horrendous, horrendous, horrendous. So if you ask somebody like, have you read Augustine? They'll be like, he's Catholic, right? Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's, he's evil. He's an evil man. Or you <laughs> ask him like, he read Thomas Aquinas, Catholic also. Yeah, he's Catholic also. And, and so it's like, things just went downhill from there. Like there was literally uh, so corrupt from the very beginning and all the way until finally in 1517, along comes he wrote Martin Luther. Right. And then with his mighty hammer, he knocks down the foundations of the Roman Catholic Church. That's wrong. That's That's again, a, a false view of history because The reformers fundamentally, if you were to study the reformers, number one, you'll realize that they sought continuity with the early church. Mm. Um, They were not trying to revolutionize the church. They were trying to reform the church that they were in. All that they believed was not so much that at that point of time, of course, um, because no one had really particularly worked out the gospel in as succinct and as sophisticated a theology as at that point of time. Um, they didn't believe that they were they were forming another church. Mm. They, they weren't there to condemn the Roman Catholic Church. At the point of time, what they said was, this is the church that needs to be reformed. We need to get rid of the papacy. We need to get rid of a lot of the pra- corrupt practices that they're doing. We need to get rid of all these unbiblical doctrines. Mm. But we want to not get rid of all these things by creating a new church. We want to get rid of all these things in the existing church. Yeah. Um, So they they sought continuity with the early church fathers, people like Augustine, uh, Aquinas, Bonaventure, uh, John of Damascus, the Cappadocians, and so on and so forth. Mm. And you notice that actually the corruption of the Roman Catholic Church really did set in only in the medieval era, which means that by and large, before the medieval era, the church has always existed. Er Erroneous here and there, but by and large, sound and it was the early church that gave us the doctrine of the Trinity, yeah. which the reformers then took, yeah. right in yeah. in almost wholesale. You know, I mean, I, I'm not too sure if if you, Chris, you're you're familiar with the modern issue of uh, the eternal functional subordination of the Son.
0: Yeah, I think we talked about it before by <laughs> over
1: yeah. dinner. Uh, EFS, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, a, it's a horrendous, horrendous doctrine. So in essence, EFS just simply stands for eternal functional subordination or uh, another word for it is called eternal relations of authority and submission, E-A-R-S. And mm. what these guys were really saying is that uh, in the eminent trinity, right, in God himself, um, what makes the father father is that he exercises authority over the son. And what makes the son the son is that he submits to the authority of the father. Mm um and, and this is actually a popular view that that a lot of evangelicals are absorbing now i think because of a very popular systematic theology uh, by wayne grudem mm-hmm. and all these kind of different guys and these are good guys by and large but and they're easy to read and so a generation of people were actually brought up thinking that yes what makes the father father is that right. he has authority over the son right. and vice versa yes. that has not been how the church has confessed the trinity and mm. that has not been how the church has confessed the Trinity. And if we were to only just read the confessions, which actually just really copied wholesale the early creeds of the church, the Nicene Creed, uh, the Chalcedonian Creed, we would not run into a problem like this. Yeah, Because the early church and therefore the Reformation uh, churches were confessing that what makes the father father? Oh, simply the fact that he begets a son. Mm. Right. And what makes the son the son? Oh, simply by the fact that he is begotten of the father. Yeah. There is no issue of authority and submission in between them. Why? Because God is one and means God has one will. So the father's will is the son's will. And if the father's will is the son's will, then where is that whole idea? There is no room for authority mm. or submission. And so EFS, okay, so how does this link to uh, confessionalism and all that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. Because again, like I said, if we were to just be confessional, Um, understanding fundamentally what is it that the the framers, the writers of the Confessions meant when they put this inside the Confession? Uh, What is it that the early church meant when they said that the Son is eternally begotten of the Father? Uh, We will not have problems like this. Yeah. We will not have problems like this. And I think that there is no such thing as a new heresy. Yeah, I was going to say that. all All heresy is old heresy. Which means that by and large, if you're faced with a heresy, the church probably, more probable than not, has already dealt with it. Yep. And so I think it would be foolish, um, ignorant, um, even arrogant, I think, foolishly arrogant to, to just ignore the wisdom of all these men gone by and, and think that, you know, I can do it all by myself. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Totally agree, especially with you know the word arrogant, arrogant and ignorant. Uh, to to think that you know i can just know all i need to know about christianity by just me myself and my bible that's not gonna happen yeah that's not gonna happen Um, as much as yes god by his holy spirit uh, grants us wisdom and knowledge um, to understand his word but one of the means that he has ordained as well in reaching that knowledge is through the study of all these other people
1: Yeah. yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah, it, it may seem a bit like jarring for our evangelical brothers who are listening to us because they're yeah. like, you know, we are all about the church is great. Right, the, the the Church Universal, the Church Catholic with a small C, is yeah. a good thing. It's a great thing, and uh, one of the means by which the Holy Spirit um, uses to to teach us and to illumine to us the truth of the Word is the Church. And yeah. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of, of our evangelical brothers and sisters are wondering, what the heck we be sounds so Catholic? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but he, yeah, yeah. But but he, um, that we, we're not we're just simply I think repeating the sentiments of the reformers. Right. Um. I think we we are simply saying that the Reformation was not about the overthrow of the institutional church. No, none of that. Right. That's that's absolute nonsense and and a misunderstanding of history. Mm. Um. The Reformation was just simply about putting the church in her rightful place, uh, subordinate to Scripture, but superior to the individual believer.
2: Mm. Mm, right? um, mm, mm, and if we
1: understand that, then we are then free to dip into the early church fathers, um, to read Augustine, to read Aquinas, to 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 read the Cappadocians. And I think some of them actually have really good things to say, mm. right? Uh, because we understand fundamentally that these guys are not Roman Catholic. No, they are the property of the entire church that we as reformers or, or we as as inheritors of, of the Reformation say that I mean okay to, to, to make this even clearer I think the Reformation was about going back to the early church mm. um, and I think we can debate this and probably our Roman Catholic friends are going to disagree with us lah, right but I think at the heart of it we as Protestants at least the historic Protestants were thinking that we want to do this because we want to go back to the early church as, as much as we can And so, if that is the case, if that is the case, then we are the true Catholic Church. Yep, we are the true Church, not Rome, right? Because Mm. Rome has lost the gospel, and it has introduced idolatrous practices. So she can't be the true Church. Which means that who is the true Church? We are the true Church, right? Protestants around the world who are united over the historic Protestant tenets, along with our distinctives and our distinctives do mean that once somebody is right somebody is wrong but these are against secondary issues mm, mm. Uh, i think yeah
0: yeah i think yeah yellow, yellow. I, I think what most singaporean christians uh, i would imagine yeah their reservation against the, yeah again embracing these you know the Reformed tradition as a whole whether it be in the confessions or in their doctrines or whatever uh, is yeah you know i don't want to divide my brothers and sisters but I think as much as that might be an issue, and yeah, I mean when it comes along, we will deal with it. You know when it does, uh, but I think uh, like I mentioned previously, I think the bigger issue is really being rock solid in your foundations of the faith, being able to you no know, answer anyone as First Peter says, being able to answer anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. Right? How, how can you answer anyone if you do not even know, you know, um, the doctrines that you believe in, that Christianity believes in. You know? yeah yeah yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. exactly uh I, I guess uh before we we start to to close off our episode uh just one more thing just one more thing uh mm. i think i thought to some of my friends i tried to introduce to them uh about you know, why is it important to have a uh, a solid you know christian tradition or the reform tradition right. uh and i guess you know they, they uh after they start looking at you know the Westminster. You see its its articles, uh, mm. or even you no. Know, I point them to resources like Ligonier Ministries, which which is a great ministry. Uh, they mm. will feedback to me and say that oh this is also chim, right? So, which which right. is Singaporean slang for complicated. And this is also right. difficult. It's so like ivory tower ish. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know like this should only be reserved for scholars, you know, Christian scholars. Right. You know, why, why, why should right. the lay Christian person, the everyday Christian person, um, right. why, why should they have anything to do with such heavy language and heavy, you know, teachings? You know, um, right. are, are they really necessary? I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, I hesitate to say that it's, it's a, I hesitate to say that it, it is a good sentiment. Mm. Uh, as, as natural and as normal as it is. Yeah. Um, I have heard this, this kind of thing before. La. I don't think it's anything new mm. in mm. Christian minimalism circles. Yeah. Um, well, here's the thing. No one starts off any field of study knowing everything. Yeah. Right? Uh in my own field of study, I, I the learning curve was quite steep because it was something that I was never really exposed to for, for the most part of my education, right? Yeah. And so it was the first time coming into university that I realized that, okay, this is my first contact with with what I'm, I'm studying. And the learning curve is, is, is really, really steep. Uh, you have to learn a new vocabulary. You need to learn a new, it's as good as learning a new language. Yeah. But does that deter all of does that deter me and, and my schoolmates? No, right? Because we understand that this is what we chose, this is what we sign mm, up for. Mm, mm. And, and and so as cheap as it may be, you, you just suck it up and and, and <laughs> plot on <laughs> you know, because trusting that at the end of the day things will get easier. Yeah. And after four years of studying that, it, it definitely has become easier as compared to when I was first looking at it at, at, in year one, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I think the same logic works here. Christianity or, or theology may seem cheap, I think only for the sole purpose that we're not exposed to it initially. That's right. And especially if you're coming from a non-confessional church that doesn't really talk so much about doctrine, about dogmatics, uh, it is daunting. Uh, and I think it, it's very natural that it is daunting. Mm. It, it should be daunting. Mm. Um, but again, as, as with any field of study... It's a matter of saying that, okay, let's take it a step at a time. Uh, the more I'm exposed to it, the easier it will become. Yeah, And trust me, it has. I yeah. mean, the two of us clearly didn't start off knowing everything yeah. about Christianity. Yeah, And when we started reading things like big words, like justification, like mm. sanctification like uh, diothelism. I don't know it's what's like that. <laughs> right, right. to right. I mean, today, there are still some terms you're going to come across that i like, I don't understand what it means. Mm, mm, mm. But but patience, right? Um, there are great resources out there. And I think Ligonier um, under R.C. Sproul, mm. right, uh, is, is a champion of making theology simple. Yeah. Not yeah. simplistic, but simple. Yes, easy to I, digest. I, yeah. I, yeah, I, I cut my teeth on, on RC sprawl and you notice that the more books by sproll you read, the more you realize that he's just repeating the same thing because <laughs> theology overlaps with theology. Yeah. And so if you just read it enough, you notice that you're just going to be able to understand things a little bit better because you've seen this in that book, you see this in this book. Yeah. Ah, okay. So this is what it means. And then you start to reflect about it and you realize that. Ah, okay, so you come to your own conclusions and you say like, okay, so this is what the Bible says about this, about that, about that, it's this. So it's just I think it's just a matter of patience, right? Mm. And it's not cheap. It's not cheap at all. In fact, uh I, I I would just like to to point uh to to our own confession, the shorter yeah. catechism. Sure. Right? And it's such a superior way of writing that that we just don't have today anymore. For example, if you were to just ask a, a, a non-confessional standard evangelical church, like, what would you believe about salvation? And be mm. like, oh, you know, Jesus died for our sins. And if you believe in him, you are saved. And the question is how, <laughs> right? How? And, and then the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 33 says, what is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace where he pardons all our sins mm. and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So in it is that reformation principle of faith alone, imputation of righteousness, Mm. a legal declaration. It may sound cheap, Mm. but it won't if you just take the time to read it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and again, if we look at evangelicalism, the the standard or or what they're really going for is emotions and devotionals, Mm, right? mm is this devotional, right? In my own devotions, my own personal devotions, it? you want devotions? All right. Again, look at the Heidelberg Catechism. Question one, what is your only comfort in life mm. and death? That I with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from the devil. And so keeps me that without the will of my father, not a hair can fall from my head and all things must work for my salvation. And therefore by his spirit, he also assures me of everlasting life and makes me sincerely willing and ready to live for him. Hey, this was written uh, in the 16th, 17th century. Wow. These were reformed <laughs> yeah. guys who yeah. were writing things like this. Yeah. Yeah. So, is, is theology, is dogmatic, so is reformed theology by a large uh, clinical cold devoid of warmth and devotions? No, absolutely not. If you were to just open these things and just read them, mm. you realize that there is a wealth of wisdom, a wealth of emotion that is there. And it is safe emotion because it is emotion founded on right knowledge Correct. of god that's right yeah. yeah yeah
0: yeah wow yeah i mean yeah definitely there's so many things uh so many reasons i'm sure we can give why yeah. yes you know knowing all these things about you know reformed theology and you know just rigorous christian you know uh, doctrines and all these things uh there's so much practicality to it like you know for yeah. people who might think that how is this even practical you're asking the wrong question is you know it really how is this yeah. not practical? That should be the question. Uh, because yeah. you know, uh, all knowledge of God serves you know, to fuel our sanctification, to fuel our yeah. you know, our own foundations, you know, so that when hardships hmm. and trials do come and they will come, we have a rock to cling to. Right? The rock of yeah. ages, you know, Christ Himself. Yeah, yeah and, and yeah. what we know about him will be the very things that comfort us in those trials and yeah. tribulations. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah, man. Uh. <laughs> I think that um, I, it, again, it's a very common question, like how how is this practically applicable, or how does this uh, how how is this practical? Again, I think that it is a good question to ask at times, uh, because like like you said, that all theology is application, right? In right. the sense that all theology is applicable. But I think if we start by asking this question, I think it's, again, it's a wrong-headed question. Um, all theology is beneficial, not simply because it is practical. It is not even beneficial yeah. primarily because it's practical, Correct. but primarily because it is thinking about the things of God. Right. So sometimes when we look at things like, oh, the eternal generation of the sun or the slightly more speculative aspects of the Trinity and, and a lot of evangelicals will just sit there and be like, so how is this practical? Hmm. Well, the wrong question, right? Because <laughs> fundamentally it's beneficial to you because it makes you think about God and yeah. what's more beneficial than that, Amen. right? What's more soothing to the soul than that? What is more helpful to the mind than that? Than to think about God, just simply about to think about God with no worries and no considerations like, oh, is this applicable? But failing to consider first and foremost that if your greatest good is God, then merely thinking about him and merely contemplating about him, um, it is more than worth your time yeah
0: yeah, yeah. that's right man yeah amen amen <laughs> yeah okay I, I think we have covered quite a lot already uh we have hit more or less yeah. one hour mark <laughs> yeah i guess uh as we close uh yeah for anyone who is starting out on just what is reformed theology what how do i even get into this how how do i even get into the confessions of the faith, for example, Westminster, whether it be the confession of faith or shorter catechism, mm. larger catechism, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I guess what are your recommendations? Maybe some sermon, YouTube right. sermons or whatever. Yeah. Right. Right. Um,
1: well, I think first and foremost, if, if you belong to a confessional church, uh, your first port of call is your church, Yeah. your, your local church. Yeah. Right. That's right. Um, I, I, I think that the, with, with the internet and, with with the propagation of, of information today uh a uh, uh, fall, what' what you call it? a weakness right that uh uh, uh, uh uh or that that most of us reformed especially the young ones uh, have would be to find our greatest influence from theologians all across the world mm. um and that that's, that's fine i think god has blessed us with information uh, the same way he blessed Europe with the printing press and that's why the Reformation took off so so easily. But I think that our first port of call should always be the church. And especially if you are in a confessional church um, that subscribes to a particular confession, be it Westminster, uh, the Three Forms of Unity, the London Baptist, um, that, that should be your first port of call. Mm. Um, if you're not in a confessional church, which uh, I, I myself am not in a confessional church, uh, I think resources on the confessions and the importance of the confessions, I think you can't beat um, books like The Credo Imperative by Carl Truman. Mm. Uh, so in that book, he actually sets out the, the necessity of the confessions, the, the benefits of confessionalism. Um I, I highly do recommend Truths We Confess by R.C. Sproul. Mm. So Sproul is a Presbyterian minister, was a Presbyterian minister, Before he um, and and <laughs> yeah. he, yeah, and and he he subscribed to the Westminster Confession. So Truths We Confess uh, was his lay exposition on what the Westminster uh, Confession meant. Yep. Um, if you want, so so I think these two are, are good enough to, to get your feet wet and all that kind of mm. thing. If you are looking for something a bit more, uh, bit more substantial, I think again, true uh, truths we confess. I think, no, no, not truths we confess, confessing the faith by Chad Van Dixhorn. Okay, yeah, yeah. so I think that one is uh, it comes with a study guide as well, authored by his wife. Oh. Okay. Um, so if you yeah. use these two companion volumes together, I think it's uh it provides a commentary as well as a, a study on the Westminster la. So mm. and for three forms of Unity, I'm I'm not the most familiar with them just simply because uh I, I personally hold to the Westminster standards myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but but these are good resources that I, I've i either used myself or heard that is is good uh for exploring the Westminster standards in greater detail. La. Nice. Yeah,
0: nice. Yeah, yeah, uh, I guess yeah, So uh, your recommendations are more on the confessional side. Uh, yeah. I mean, what one book that I think, again, uh, I'll, I'll just trot R.C. Sproul, uh, he's such a great guy. Uh, his book, What is Reformed Theology? I think that is uh, one, yeah, of simple, that, one, one, one of the most yeah, simple, one of the yeah. most simple, not in a bad sense, but simple in a good sense, uh, explanation yeah. of what is Reformed Theology. Yeah, so he talks about, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he talks about tulip, you know, just very simple, how do we understand salvation? um right. and talking about the five solas of the reformation uh what is the foundation of all theology reform theology the five solas really um yeah and yeah i think he talks about the importance of the covenant as well covenant theology yeah. these are all very yeah. key foundational tenets of reform theology so if you want a very simple breakdown of the foundations of reform theology like how do i get into all this um rc Sproul's mm. book what is reform theology
1: okay yeah, yeah uh so if I could just have a, a, sure. a last word to to our friends who are Calvinists, yeah. um, who are five-pointers, you know, um, full-blooded five-pointers, but who are not confessional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, if mm-hmm. I could just have a, a, a very... Uh, my, my last word of advice to you is to actually explore the confessions. Mm. Right? Um, you are in the five points, Tulip, and, and that is great. That is wonderful. And you're probably... Sometimes some of you may also be for the first time... Um, realizing the beauty of God's sovereignty and the depth mm. of theology that you probably were not used to. Yeah. Um, but there's more to Calvinism. There's mm. more to Reformed theology than these five points. Mm. Uh, and if you'd hold to the Westminster, I would say that actually there are 33 points of Calvinism <laughs> right? because yeah. there are 33 chapters, right? Sure. So, so go into the Confessions. I think Tulip was not meant to survive apart from the theology of the Confessions. Right. and and you notice that with the young restless reform that was all about just Tulip or and the five Solars ripped out of its Reformational context mm. and tried to, to to stick blue tack onto um, modern Christian evangelicalism, you notice that it doesn't work and that's why the, the young restless reform movement has by and large ceased to be effective yeah right um, so so again just the last word, if you are in Calvinism, if you are full-blooded five pointer, or if you are a half-blooded four-pointer and just need to make that step towards (laughs) limited atonement, uh, it doesn't matter, right? At the end of the day, five points is not all there is to it. So do seek out the confessions. Uh, And I think you'll realize that theology, um, doxology, and even your piety is going to be far, far richer uh, than without these confessions. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree, bro. But yeah, I, I think with that, we can come to an end uh, to our episode. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much, Mark, for right. joining. Uh, no
1: worries. I'm glad to be here. Love, wow. love the, the conversation. Yeah. Wonderful conversation.
0: Uh, yeah. I think I, I look forward to your <clears throat> your new episode as well, uh, whenever that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, So uh, again, if you uh, for listeners, if you want to tune into Mark's podcast with his friend, uh, Mike Michael, right? Michael. Yeah. Michael, yeah. Yeah, Michael. They they talk about John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion. That one is it can be pretty chim, as Singaporeans like to say, but I think they explain it pretty well <laughs> in a digestible uh fashion.
1: So yeah. Well, the okay. Institutes are yeah. worth everyone's time, lah. I think yeah. institutes should be read by everyone, yeah.
0: Yeah, I agree, yeah. I agree. So much treasures there. Okay, yeah, uh thanks again and uh yeah, thanks for Always tuning in guys. My pleasure. And uh Thanks for having you- me. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, see you guys next one.